name is Samantha Lewis, and I'm excited to introduce our podcast today. As always, we have Barry Render, author of the number one operations management title on the market. We're excited to welcome a special guest today to share her expertise on the cold food supply chain. Thanks, Samantha. Yes, I'm thrilled today to have my number one expert on global supply chains, Dr. Misty Blessley, who's an associate professor of supply chain management at Temple University, joining us to talk about cold food supply chains. You know, we see daily headlines about supply chain problems. There's chip shortages holding up auto production. Engine parts are missing for Airbus and Boeing. There's a shortage of antibiotics and other drugs coming in from China. Uh, lithium battery components for EVs are in short supply. But we really don't hear much, Misty, about the cold food supply chain, unless there's an outbreak of uh, listeria or salmonella poisoning or the like. Um, can you start off and give us a little bit of background? Maybe tell us, how would you define a cold food supply chain? Sure. Um, let me just start by thanks saying thanks for having me today. Um, I do have a definition, and I'm going to rely on a company that anyone watching this would probably know, and that's the UPS definition. So they define a cold supply chain as a continuous temperature-controlled supply chain that is designed to preserve the life cycle of perishable foods, drugs, chemicals, and other products by assuring consistent refrigeration through the product's passage from manufacturing through transport and warehousing to final delivery. The cold chain process impacts every step of the supply chain. And I think the big things to focus on there would be perishability and every step, because we are really, when we're talking about, um, you know, UPS mentions drugs, chemicals, and other, um, but really when we're talking about foods, which is the topic for today, we're talking about, say, from the farm to the fork. Well, what are some of the benefits of a well-developed cold supply chain? So I'm actually gonna talk about four of those. The first that I really want to get into is that it keeps us from getting sick. And I know, Barry, in a recent conversation, we were talking about Poisoned, which is um, a Netflix documentary. It's called Poison, the Dirty Truth About Your Foods. Um, so one of the benefits is that it does a good established cold supply chain does keep us from getting sick. The FDA puts out numbers of about, they're estimating that there's about 128,000 hospitalizations and about 3,000 deaths yearly from foodborne illnesses. Um, so one of the things that we can do about that actually is to try to quickly remove any type of contaminated food from the market. And just this past January, the Food Safety Modernization Act, Section 204, um, went into effect, and that is on food traceability. And it really looks at the key foods where we would have a high probability of being contaminated and they used a big uh, risk ranking model and it took a long time to get to what specific food should be included. So um, in addition to the fact that a well-developed cold supply chain keeps us from getting sick, it also gives us a huge food variety that we wouldn't be able to have otherwise. And in the pre-pandemic era, we imported at least half of the fruits we consume and a third of the vegetables with avocados, bananas, and fresh grapes being our top imports last year. Um, I want you to consider, and I think it's really important for us to know what it takes to be able to make something like that happen because being able to manage supply chain challenges is a huge benefit of a well-developed supply chain because you know, if we didn't have that, we were, really wouldn't have access to a lot of foods or at least 
in the quantities that we're looking for. So I relied on the cargo handbook to give me some examples. Um, okay, so imagine avocados, and I'm just gonna talk about one variety, Haas avocados. They have an optimum carriage temperature of 41 to 46.4 degrees Fahrenheit. Bananas, which were the second most imported, have an optimum carriage temperature of 55.94 degrees Fahrenheit, and grapes come in at actually 30.2 to 32 degrees. So if we think about that, it's not as easy as putting these all together and just putting them on a container and shipping them. And besides that, we have to think about um, avocados shouldn't be shipped with ethylene producing commodities like bananas and avocados can actually ruin pineapples. So there's a lot behind this. Um, ethylene in particular, uh, it's great if we want to ripen something, uh, but we probably don't want to ripen our avocados. They are actually harvested before they're ripened, and we probably don't want to ripen them along the way because that actually eats into the shelf life of the product. Um, and just considering that there are various growing, um, like uh, growing seasons and also different storage lives, there's a lot to being able to get this right. And we have a supply chain that's capable of handling that. And Barry, I do wanna talk about one other benefit, and this is absolutely one of my favorites, is that um, a well-developed cold supply chain can go really far in decreasing food waste um, and also combating food insecurity, which we have in the United States as well as the world over. Um, when I first started to really look at looking at food insecurity, I realized that it's not a production problem, but it's more of a logistics problem. So I'm gonna rely on a nonprofit known as ReFed to help me to bring this point. Uh, so food production accounts for 80% of our water use and 51% of our land use, 10 to 15% of our energy consumption and 10% of our greenhouse gas emissions. We actually have 21 million jobs um, in food production and then it accounts for 11% of US employment. And then we take all of that and we put all of these resources into it and 40% of that food is wasted somewhere along the supply chain. And you know, we talk about productivity, that is chapter one in the textbook. We would never agree to do something and take 40% of it at the end and just throw it away, day after day after day. And that's really what's happening um, with a lack of a cold food supply chain the world over. So a 20% reduction would require an 18 billion investment, which is one tenth cent per pound of food, but that would net a 100, 100 billion of economic value. So very important to make sure that we do have that well-developed chain the world over. And I'm glad you mentioned the, the global aspect because developing countries can benefit from being able to have better access to fresh fruits and vegetables, more fresh fruits and vegetables. Ours is pretty good. We can get almost anything we want in the United States right now, but it really helps developing countries if we can master this um, and improve their state and also become part of the cycle so they can provide the, the inputs to us. In terms of the US supply chain, what's the status in our country? How do you evaluate it? Are we doing a good job? Uh, we are, but let's just say that demand for cold storage capacity has been outpacing supply for a while now. So um, online purchases of refrigerated and frozen foods actually rose by 58% year over year. And that was between October of 2020 and October of 2021. Um, we are, it's really would be crazy to stay at such a high rate, but we're expected to that to be in excess of 9%. 
for about the next five or six years. And if we can look at some models like Fresh Direct, um, they are a, capable of bringing food in and getting out of a facility from one hour to one week, and they have 38 temperature zones. So, um, you know, when we think about that, there are huge demands for cold storage. Uh, one, something that's really interesting to me is that we've seen a huge shift away from JIT. And when we think about JIT, we think about zero inventory. We're not really doing that right now. So we cannot ship from an empty shelf, which causes a lot of demand for cold storage. But on the other hand, if we think about capacity, we're having transportation backlog issues. So there's logistics issues. We have labor shortages to deal with. And sometimes if a person's choosing between working at a cold facility or otherwise, it's cold in there. So maybe they're not really into being in a cold facility all the time. Um, another thing is facility age. About 78% of the facilities are, were constructed before the year 2000. And you know they have problems, they're, they're aging. Um, construction costs are high, but uh, according to the USDA, we've actually seen an increase of a couple of percentage points in refrigerated storage capacity over since 2020, and that is continuing to grow, but it's very speculative because if we take a look at the structure of the cold storage providers, we have a few very large providers and then many very small providers it's not like a truck that, oh, you create a cold store, you create a refrigerated truck and you can take that anywhere. We have to make a lot of decisions about where to actually place these facilities. So um, we would never want to build a facility and not have it being demanded. So, you know, we're in good shape. We are increasing capacity and, um, you know, trying to deal with that increase in demand. But it needs to shake out and, and level out as we move forward. Right. There's always room for moving forward and improvement. There's no question about it. How do we stack up compared to uh, other countries? Are we in better shape? We actually are in much better shape, <clears throat> excuse me, according to the global infrastructure. So North America and Europe are considered to be mature markets. And the most rapidly growing market is in Asia Pacific. Um, Latin, Latin America is considered to be an emerging market. And the Middle East and Africa are the most developing nations. But here's the big thing about that. In addition to that variability across the region, there's also still a lot of variability within the region. Amazing. What a, what a great background you've given us. <clears throat> when I introduced you as my, my go-to expert on global supply chains, I didn't realize just how much knowledge you had about the global cold food supply chain. We've learned so much from you today, Misty. I really appreciate your spending the time with us. And I hope our podcast listeners learned a lot. I hope they go out and all watch the movie Poisoned on Netflix if they're <laughs> interested in scaring themselves a little bit more about the, the supply chain. Um, thanks again. And, and we look forward to uh, having you on a future podcast as well. Perfect. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Barry. You're welcome.